Welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Belun Klemsemeche. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to nine to fivers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all of the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Hey everyone, it's a brand new year and we're finally back. If you're new to She Brigade, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so happy to have you here. And if you're a returning um, Brigader, thank you so much for coming back and always being with us. Welcome to the first episode of 2021, guys. Listen, I took a break that was much longer than expected. But what's important is that we're finally back. Okay, we're finally back. So here's a new year, finally. 2020 was a roller coaster, but I'm just grateful to have made it to 2021. Last year we learned a lot, we laughed a lot, we cried a lot, but I really hope that this year is better for you, whatever that may look like. And I also hope that this podcast helps you in some way along your life and career journey. Okay, so let's get into this week's episode. Our first guest for 2021 is Amanda Kandawire Koza, who is a pilot and digital illustrator. Amanda has flown for many airlines, including Emirates, but she's always had a creative side too, which led her to starting Layover Art, a digital illustration company, as well as Buyiswa, where she sells handmade earrings. And of course, if you don't know, which if you follow us, you should know, Amanda is also the artist behind the She Brigade podcast cover art. Yes, the picture you're seeing on your phone, she did that. So tune in to hear the story of how Amanda became so much to pursue a dream of flying and also followed her creative passions unapologetically. Let's dive in. Hey Amanda, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so, so much for having me. So let's start all the way from the beginning. Okay, take us all the way back to younger you, growing up. What was it like being you as a child and your schooling? So my full name is Amanda Buiswanyamkunga Kandawiri Koza. So my maiden surname is Kandawiri and I'm married into the Koza family. Mm. I'm 30 years old and I'm from Soweto. So my mom's side of the family is from the Eastern Cape and my dad's side is from Malawi. So that's where my surname actually comes from. Ah. So yeah. So starting with my mom. So my mom grew up in the Eastern Cape and then they moved to Soweto. So the interesting part is they end up moving into the back opposite of where my dad stays. So I mean, by the time they get married and they have me going to see my grandparents, it's just like the easiest thing ever because yeah. I get to see both sets on the same day. So literally visit one family, jump out the fence, go see my other grandparents, and I'd see everyone in one go. Mm. And both my parents are from huge families. My dad's got nine siblings and my mom's got five. Sure. So... When it comes to me, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending which way you look at it, they just have me because I'm an only child. And But the thing is, with being from such a big family, I was constantly around my cousins and relatives, so the house was just never quiet. Mm. So I just grew up in that loud environment. But the funny thing is, I was actually such a shy child growing up. Like, I was just shy and awkward, really. I think that's probably <laughs> the best way to describe what I looked like. I mean... I was tall, I was skinny, I had glasses, I had braces. It was just the whole, if you could get an awkward package in one, like <laughs> I was it. 
And growing up, I, I'd always known that I wanted to be a pilot. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, and the story actually is, so my mom being from the Eastern Cape, most of our trips down to the Eastern Cape were by bus because my parents didn't own a car back then. But this one particular trip, they both couldn't get leave from work and they were too nervous to send me down um, on a bus by myself. So they decided the safest way to get me to the Eastern Cape as a five-year-old would be me to go by plane. Mm, so that was the first too. time. Exactly. Yeah. It was quicker. It was safer. It was just the least painful way to just get me there. But that flight literally changed my life. Like mm. after that, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do when I grow up. So, I mean, naturally, you can't just be a girl that looks the way we do. And then you come back from the Eastern Cape the one day and you're like, I want to be a pilot. Like, mm. you want to be a what? Why? How? <laughs> you know? And for the longest time, I think they entertained the idea in the hopes that it was a passing phase. So it was just, okay, we hear what she's saying, but okay, I know it's fine. But the years were not kind. I just kept saying the same thing over and over and over. And by the time it was high school, the only thing I knew about flying is that it was a STEM subject. So I needed to have math and science. So how I was going to fly, what I was going to fly in, I had no idea. But I was like, as long as I have those two subjects, yeah. I'll literally figure the rest out. So in grade 11, I applied for the Celsi Tekago Child to Work Day. Ah. So yeah, so that was the first time I got exposure to what a flying school actually looks like. And it was the first time I got to see how, first of all, how small the aircrafts were. I was like, really? That That is not what I took to get to the Eastern <laughs> Cape. <laughs> so when I got to see a training aircraft for the first time, I was like, Hmm. But I still wanted to do it, you know, mm. and I think grade 11 was probably the most anxious time for my parents because this is when everyone started applying for varsity. Mm. And I was just like, but I've been saying that I want to go to flying school. So I can't be applying to any other varsity except to flying school. But the thing is with flying, you can only apply with your matric certificate. Okay. So while everyone mm. else was applying to go to varsity, I just sat and did nothing. You know, when you, you didn't literally... apply for backup or something. No, girl. <laughs> I didn't apply. In the meantime, like just in case. No, no. I couldn't even miser the situation. I literally applied sure. nowhere. So when matric was officially coming to an end, I was like, okay, you know, I've done my part. I've passed. I got my certificate. What's what's happening now? And then it was the first time I actually had the conversation with my parents, and they were like but you know, we don't have money for flying school. Oh. And I'm just there like, okay, this is very awkward. Cause I feel like we could have had this conversation at an earlier stage, but in the same light, knowing that I didn't have money to go to flying school was still not going to stop me from wanting to go to flying school. Mm. So I was like, so what do we do? What can we do? And this is the thing that I appreciate so much about my parents is they've been willing to sacrifice almost everything in order for me to attain my dreams. Mm. And my mom was just like, you know what? We don't have the money, but I work for a bank. I can access the money. It's not going to be the full amount that you need, but it's going to be enough to just get you started. And that's literally, yeah. it's all I've ever wanted. I've just wanted a foot in the door and I would figure the rest out. So my mom was able to get a 60,000 Rand from a 60,000 Rand loan from the bank. And yeah, so straight after matric, I enrolled at flying school and I started living my dream. And it was just like the best thing I could honestly imagine. But 
the high didn't last long because that's 60,000 rand. I blew through it in three months. So I fun. cannot get Minutes. over how expensive <laughs> flight school is. It is so expensive. It's crazy. <gasps> it's crazy expensive. So, okay, so yeah, what did you do? So, three months, three months yeah, three months, 60k gone in three months. Like, I couldn't fathom. I honestly could not believe, like, it was gone. Because some people, 60,000 is a year's tuition. For me, it was at least two years' tuition. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah I was, yeah, at UP. Oh, my gosh. And in one trimester, I had finished it. And the thing is about finishing it, there was still no qualification. Like, I couldn't say oh I've spent it and I at least have Here's my first this license. To show. No, yeah. no. I mean, yes, I had a couple of hours under my belt and, 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 but I had no physical qualification to be like, okay, I've done this with the money. I can use this in order to get more money. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day the school called me in. <laughs> so, you know, when you're just like living in this little bubble and you're so naive to your situation, like you knew starting off that you didn't have the money to finish the course, <laughs> but you're just like, ah, I'll see this forward. And then yeah. when the day came that I actually got called in and they were like, look, sorry, your funds have run dry and you can't continue flying. It was just like hitting a brick wall while you were going at 120. I was just mm. like, wait, what? Because in my mind, I expected almost like a gradual warning. I wanted someone to be like, oh, you know, there's 20,000 left. There's 10,000 left. There's 5,000. Mm. So that I could mentally prepare for the fact that things were about to change unless I did something about them. But I didn't get that warning. I just went from going to school every day to you can't anymore. Mm. And because my parents had already given up so much for them to just have that 60,000, I couldn't go home and be like, but I want more because I knew there was no more to give. Mm. So luckily at the time, um, my school was actually looking for a receptionist. So I asked to apply for the position and Funny enough, in exchange for a salary, I asked them if they could pay me in flying hours. So instead of, yeah. So I'd literally work to get my license. Oh, wow. And but, but that's it also... wasn't a lot. I mean, I'd, I'd only get, what, four to five hours a month, but it was more than I would have gotten if I didn't take the job, you know? So I was just like, four hours a month, I'm going to be working a long time in order for me to get my license. But I was just willing to do whatever it took to make it happen, Mm. especially when I knew I didn't have many options. I didn't have someone I could call and be like, look, you're my rich uncle. I need you to come through for me now. I, I didn't have that. And my parents had done everything that they could. So it was literally up to me now. So I knew that from that moment that if I wanted to make this work, I was going to have to do anything and everything that I could in order to achieve this dream. So and just for yeah. just for context, so you're saying that you were getting paid like about four or five hours a month. How many yeah. would you normally need or ideally want to have? When, how many hours would you want to get in a month? Or you so in order, <laughs> for my you to, <laughs> in order for you to get your private pilot's license, you need a minimum of 45 hours. So 45 hours, if I am only earning four hours a month, that's at least 11 months that I'm going to be working Mm. in this job in order for me to get something that would normally take me just a few months to achieve. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Yeah. so it was a busy time in my life because I had my nine to five job and 
I'd come back in the evenings to then study for exams because I still was, I may not have been flying, but I was still was a student. I may have been a part-time student, so I still needed to study for exams. I still needed to get the theory done because flying is theory and then the practical. Mm-hmm. So it was the money for the practical that I didn't have, but I still needed to get the theory done so that I could write my exams and have that part complete before I could then finish the hours and test for the license. Mm. But man, by God's grace, I worked a few months and then I got called into the school again. So in my mind, I'm just like, every time I get called into the school, here we go again. I'm like, what (laughs) is it this time? And like, I think I learned that day how when God pulls through for you, there's just nothing that can stop you. I had one of the other students put money into my account. Yeah. Do you know who it was? I do. Oh I my do. gosh. And yeah. they didn't tell you that they were going to do that. No, they didn't. They didn't. So I literally just went into school one day, had a meeting and they told me probably the best news of my life. And I was mm, like, what? Mm, mm. So I didn't quit the job, but <laughs> I asked if I could like maybe cut back on the hours. Cause yeah. I used to work Monday to Saturday. Mm. So I wanted to, because it would only leave me then with Sunday to fly. So mm. we came to an agreement if I could at least just tweak my working hours just a little bit, just until I finished my private pilot's license. So yeah, that's how I managed to get my first license. That is absolutely insane. That's actually like a crazy story. The fact that you were able to negotiate, to know, like you wanted it so much that you were able to negotiate. It's like, you don't pay me in money, pay me in yeah. hours. And then the blessing that just comes out of nowhere and you still continue to work. You know what the crazy work. thing is? What's the crazy this thing? This guy's name was Blessing. No, really? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. That is insane. Okay, okay. So you got your pilot license. So I got my private pilot license. Because yes. remember there's different licenses and this one just enables me to be able to fly with other people but i can't get paid for the flying okay so i was at the stage of my training where i can take my mom my dad my friends but no one can pay me for the flying yes so i still needed to then build my hours towards my commercial pilot's license Mm. so i thought getting my private pilot's license was going to be the hard part but turns out trying to get more money now for the second part of my training was an even bigger hurdle for me so at this stage now that i have my private pilot's license work life is a little harder mm-hmm. because now again so i've got work from nine to five but now because i'm doing my theory for my commercial license i now attend evening classes so i'd knock off at five quickly go back to res to get something to eat come back to school and attend evening classes from six until nine thirty mm. and then try then get a little bit of studying done before i go back to work the next day so the cycle just, it kept going for months and months. And like, I was burning out. Mm. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And my mom eventually got to the point where she was just like, mm, you must leave the job. But I'm like, but I need the job because we need the hours. It's just like, yes. you'll figure something outside. But the thing that you're doing right now, mm-hmm. it's not working. It's not working. So I end up resigning from the job and I decided to then use that time to just like I did with my private license, get my theory out the way. So I finished the lectures and I start writing exams. And I think this is probably like the lowest point of my training phase of my life. 
because I remember this one particular exam that I was studying for. It was one of those subjects that I just, I think it took me like a long time to grasp. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to get the exam out the way because I'm just like, oh, this is not my favorite subject. It's not the one that I am extremely good at. So if I can do this, I'll start feeling better. And I remember studying that week and the night, not even the night, it was the day. It was the day before the exam. Load shedding happens. Oh, my God. And, hey. <laughs> oh, South Africa. <laughs> and I'm just like, Lord, we can't. Like, it was one of those exams I needed to pull an all-nighter. I'm like, I need to study this thing yeah. until tomorrow morning. So if the electricity is gone, what is supposed to happen? And then my mom says to me, because my mom is the, she's the queen of, if it's not working, I am going to do something about it. Oh, wow. So she says to me, pack a bag, we're going to a hotel for the night. Oh. And I'm just like, hmm. So pack my bag, we go to a hotel, and thank the Lord, I've, I have a place that I can study that has electricity until mm. I turn the lights off. So I stay up all night, and I'm studying, and by the time it's time for me to go to bed, I can't sleep because I'm just – it was a weird thing, but I was just anxious about everything. Like I was anxious about the exam. I was anxious about where I was with my training, with my career. Mm-hmm. I was anxious at the fact that we we're in this hotel room. There was just so many things. I was just like, what is going on? So I was just in a space where mentally I was fatigued and my mind was just so busy. Like I could not rest that night. But anyway, I go, I write my exam. And the thing is with flying exams, um, it's all online. So as soon as you hit the submit button, two seconds later, you either get the congratulations or you failed. Yes. So you know instantly (laughs) if you passed or not. And after my mom has bent over backwards to accommodate me after ESCOM has done the things, I fail the exam. Yeah. So literally my heart sinks because I'm just like, what is happening? Like, come on. I'm just like, really? Like, this is your life right now? Out of all the times that you could have failed something, you're going to fail it in this moment where so much of it counts because you've got a person who's bending over backwards for you. You've got things that are supposed to be helping you in order to achieve your dreams. And then when nah, you fail an exam. Hmm. So in that moment, I was just like, Lord, I think this is by far my lowest low. And I thought being taken away from flying was my low point. But I realized in that moment that I was willing to give up everything for my dreams, but it became a problem for me when other people had to sacrifice just Mm. as much for my dream. I was like, "Mm -mm, it can't be. It really, really, truly, it cannot be. So I was sitting there and I was just like, I can't, or rather not I can't, but I just didn't want to have my parents give any more than they already have. Yeah. So I was just there, like, something's got to give, Lord. Like, you gotta, I don't know what you got to do, but you got to do it. And I was sitting there, and I was thinking to myself, is this not the time to give up? Is this not the time to call it quits? Is this not the time to change careers? Because the funny thing is, even though I've wanted to fly for as long as I could speak English, the whole time I kept telling people, this is what I want to do, everyone would be like, yeah, but no. Black girls don't fly. Black people don't do these things. You want to be a what? I don't think so. So I'd spent my whole life dealing with people telling me that I don't think this flying thing is for you. 
And I was at this crossroads of my life where I felt like life was finally telling me the same thing. Mm. Where it was just like a baby girl, you try it, but it's just, this is not what people like you do. Mm. So be like other kids, go look for a bursary because bursaries were available for everything else under the sun, except what I wanted to do. So in that moment, I was just like, you know what? This is the part where I think you just call it quits and go do something else. But the problem was, remember in grade 11 and everyone else was applying to university, I'd never thought of what it is I wanted to do if I wasn't flying. Like I had such tunnel vision for this thing that I didn't bother taking off the blinkers and being like, okay, so if I wasn't flying, what would I be doing? Yeah. And the thing is with flying, it's also such a fragile career because it's dependent on you passing your medical. So health is welfare. So, I mean, should something happen and I lose my medical, I'd be unable to fly. And that's out of your control, yeah. Exactly. But I never used to think about it like that. I never used to have that, hmm, you know. But in that moment, I sat there and I was just like, okay, so what are you going to do about this? But, and this is the part where I feel as though we all have that, I call it like God's dream for your life, where something is like burning inside of you and you can't explain it. So in that moment where life was telling me to give up, I was like, see, the problem with giving up is I'm guaranteed that I'll never be a pilot. But if I keep going, there's, for as long as there's a possibility, that little, little, I just need that 1% chance that I can still do this. So for as long as I believe that 1% chance is still there, I can't give up. Because yeah. by giving up, I'm literally saying, yeah, it's a no. And it's never a no. It's literally just never a no. Mm, I, love, I love that, yes. Yeah, so we went home. <laughs> I carried on pleading with God. I feel like I pleaded with him so much in that time. And I was even telling him things like, I want you to make me a pilot so I can be rich. And I'll pay <laughs> back my parents like tenfold in my mind. I was just like, pilots would probably earn like so much money so that I could just, I can give back everything that they've invested in me. And then... In that moment, I think life was testing me just one more time because we get home and then my mom says to me, so my dad and I want to talk to you. So I'm just there like, "Mm, meetings have never been good for me. So what's the son about? What's the family meeting? I don't know. And my parents tell me that they want to remortgage the house in order to pay for the flight. So I was like, ah, <laughs> you know, when something is literally like so, in so, that so. moment, it's just, it's too much. It's too, too much. I'm like, Lord, I know I've been pleading with you, but not like this. This is exactly like, what you didn't want to happen. Exactly. Mm. I'm like, not like this. I'm like, there has to be another way. I'm like this. Yes. Given it gives me the result I want at the end of the day, but not like this. So. I don't remember how long after this conversation, it was a Sunday. I never read the paper. I never used to read the paper back then, but this one particular Sunday, I was reading the paper Mm -hmm. and lo and behold, in the Sunday times, there is a little article about a local airline that is giving out bursaries. I was like, this is it. This is it. And the thing is in that moment, I knew that bursary is mine. Like I, I didn't care. It like it it had my name written on it. I was just like, "Sir, y'all, this is it. This is literally yeah. it." Imagine had you given up. This exactly. is what you were saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So when I applied for that bursary, I went into that whole selection process of really knowing it was mine. So I'm like, all of the stuff that we are doing, and the thing is, I can't even tell you where that confidence came from. Well, I was just like, <laughs> you're so sure that you're going to outbeat all these other people. And the thing is, it's not that I was the best. It's not that I had the best metric marks or I was probably the best pilot, but it's just, I knew what my vision was. And I knew that God was giving me this current opportunity mm. for it to become a reality. And out of all those applicants that applied for those things, the company only selected two candidates and I was one of those two. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So sure. that is how I made it back to being a full-time student and getting my commercial license. Yeah. Like I thought, yeah, I thought your private license journey was like wild, <laughs> <laughs> but you, your whole schooling journey is wild. <laughs> like, it's it's wild because it's like emotionally going through so mm. much, the ups and the downs. One win, like you move forward, then you move back. Oh my goodness. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So you did it. I did it. You did, I did it. it. I did it. Oh, wow. That's, that's insane. <laughs> that's insane. That is such a lesson in not giving up. And just to being determined. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And if something is for you, not, no, no one can take it away. Yeah. So true. Okay. Okay. So what, what, what was your first job? Well, as a, I don't, how does it work? Like <laughs> we were probably intern <laughs> going to a grad program. Like by we, I mean like traditional people like myself go to varsity degree. Wara wara. How what was yeah. your first job as a pilot? as someone in aviation, we put it that way. So <laughs> again, this is the part that I didn't foresee after getting my commercial license. Because you know, when you work so hard to achieve something, you almost don't think about, so what happens after what you next? <laughs> Like what next? So I only got to my what next when I got to that next chapter. And the one part that I never foresaw was I'd struggle finding a job. Oh my goodness. So after getting my commercial license, I was an unemployed pilot for two years. <gasps> two yeah. years. Two years. And the thing is, this again for me was the weird part because, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. Um, I went to all girls schools all my life. So primary school and high school. And then high school, I went to boarding school. So when I finally enroll in flying school, I was the only black girl at my school. Mm. So in my mind, I'm just like, how? Okay, so it's like this, but all right. And the funny thing is, it was the first time that I actually thought about the fact that are there one, are there women pilots in this industry? Mm. Or two, are there even black female pilots in this industry. So I was so focused on achieving the dream that I never really did any research to find out if, well, do we actually fly? Like, can black people actually yeah. do this thing? Or am I just, <laughs> I'll see forward, you know? And it's only once I did my research that I learned that the first black commercial female pilot in South Africa only happened in 1999. Like, Her name Manu, is now. It's just the other day. So I was just like, this only happened nine years ago because sure. I started flying in 2008. I'm like, it's only been nine years. I'm just like, what? So, and the funny thing is I wrap my head around this in a time where I've just gone 
solo at school. So solo is that first flight that you do without an instructor when you get to go up into the air by yourself. (laughs) And it was after I did that flight where I started getting all this media attention. Like journalists were coming to the school and they wanted to do interviews and the school was like signing me up for all these things. And I was just like, Ivana, guys, like what's happening? Uh-huh. So it was because I didn't understand the what's happening that I went to go do the research. Because I'm just like, but there's been so many other, well, People. other students being Gee. the guys yes. yeah, that have gone solo. So I'm like, why is everyone making a big deal about my solo when we've been doing this thing since I got to the school? So it's only when I started to understand the dynamics behind race and gender in my industry, I was like, I see now. So for me, the fact that I looked the way I did had nothing to do with the fact that I wanted to fly. But now because I flew, the way I looked had everything to do with the fact that I wanted to fly. Mm. So I literally go through all of this throughout my training. So even with the ups and downs, I still got to deal with the the whole race and the gender issue. Mm. And by the time I get to my commercial license, in my head, I'm just like, I have paid my dues. So I'm expecting now because everyone keeps making it a big deal that I'm a black female pilot that finally has a commercial license. Come through with the yeah. license and you come through with the job. Yeah. And then no job was coming. I'm like, all right, guys. Sure. <laughs> like, how is this working? And this is when I realized, I'm like, you know what? And as much as the media will continually have this be something, and it's an important, it really is an important cause. But when you are the one in the cause, it doesn't necessarily advance your career at the time. Mm. It may, it may lay the foundation for those that come later. Yes. Yes. But you in the trenches at the time that you are being one of the first first, you still got to like find your way and mm-hmm. pave your way and figure it out as you go. So that was a lesson that I learned then. I was just like, oh, okay, no, I'm, I'm not done fighting. I still got to, you know, <laughs> pay my dues even more. So, so yeah, so it took me two years to get... A flying job and the thing is in that time i didn't like sit and do nothing because i still had to help my parents with both i couldn't have spent their money while i was a student mm-hmm. and now i'm qualified and i'm still there like yeah well i'm not going to do anything so this is when i started questioning myself in terms of what are my other interests like what is it that i want to do and for me because everyone was worried that doing something else meant i was giving up on flying and uh, I'm just like, no, no guys, <laughs> the bills need to be paid. Yes. So I need to do something. But for me, the goal is always going to be flying. Yeah. So it was important for me to do other stuff, but always remember what it is I was aligned to do and always go back to it. So and as much as I was doing other things in the back of my mind, I'm like, but this is still what I want to do. And I got into the point, I think it was probably just as I hit my two year mark of being unemployed. And there was a guy who owns an aviation magazine. So one of the things that I used to do part-time was photography because mm. my creative side is like, it's a thing. <laughs> you've always been a creative because you, you know we're getting there. <laughs> I know where we're going to. <laughs> um, okay. So this guy was looking for a photography assistant. Mm. So I sent through my CV and I don't hear back from him. So I'm just like, I cannot, it's one of those things because it's been happening. I've been sending out my CV and nothing's been happening. So um, the people that had sponsored me for my commercial license, they were having an event. So they invited me to this event. And because life is life and it's funny like that, I end up meeting this guy Ah. at the event. So I recognize him because I'm like, yeah, I know who this man is. So I go and I introduce myself 
and the joys of having a surname as unique as mine, he remembered my name. Ah. Yeah. So he <laughs> says to me, oh, yeah, I did see your CV. And I threw it away. I'm like, how? <laughs> well, the fact that he was blunt enough to admit yeah. that, I'm just like, I mean, okay. Really? And he says to me, it's probably a good thing that I'm meeting you now, so I can tell you. But he's just like, you can't look the way you do. And I've achieved what you've achieved. And then merely reduce yourself to wanting to be my assistant. He's like, I never. He's like, no commercial pilot who's a black female is going to be my assistant oh, okay. when you could be flying planes. And he's just like, it's not going to happen. Not on my watch. I mean, you can keep applying for assistant jobs, yes. But I'm just saying, I can't see what I see in you and then have you work a job that I feel like someone else could do. Not going to happen. Mm. Hmm. And I think in that moment for me, it was just another affirmation. I was just like, you know what? Sometimes there'll be random people that will remind you of your purpose in life and it'll just be a don't forget yeah don't forget and then after that conversation probably a few weeks later um i came across another birthday post and this birthday post was for basically after your commercial license they were looking to sponsor you with things that would be helpful in your career advancement so whether it was like another rating or a course in something else so i applied for that and i got it and so this course sent me down to port alfred to a school called 43 and i went to go do my instructor's rating there and while i was there i got a call for the selection process for my first airline job Mm. And the funny thing is I'd applied for this thing like over a year ago and nothing had happened. So when they eventually call me out of the blue, I'm just there like, what? <laughs> yes, sir. But now I need to be shuttling up and down from the Eastern Cape to Joburg to come for these interviews. And the thing is with um, airline jobs, it's not just one thing. It's a selection process. So you go through an interview, you go through psychometric testing, and you just go through a whole bunch of other hurdles before you actually get the job. Mm. And because God is good, when the offer of employment came, I got two job offers. So I got it for the airline and I got it for the place that I was doing my course and they were offering me an instructing job. So I'm like, for the fact that I went from no jobs to for options, so I'm like, in to what upgrade. world? In mm. what world? So yes, yeah, so that is how I got my first airline job. And that happened in 2013. So since then, I've worked for three airlines, and in 2019 is when I left South Africa. Yes. <laughs> and I decided to go spread my wings a little bit, and I joined Emirates. It's like, this, like I, I feel like you can see my face, right? Is, is it as exciting <laughs> to you as it is to me? Because <laughs> I'm like, what's Emirates? <laughs> <laughs> when it happened, like when I got oh my, my offer of employment, I... If uncontainable joy was a person, it was me when that email came through. I was just like, oh my gosh. Mm. I'm like, God did that for my life. I'm like, that that actually happened. Mm, mm, mm. That actually happened. Unreal. And unreal. Unreal. And while you were at Emirates, um, you flew the A380. Yes, I did. Um, please tell us, What's special about it? <laughs> tell, 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 the, tell the audience why is that special and how you also were very special to be flying it in that moment. So it's special because it is the world's biggest passenger 
clean. So yes. it's special because there's no other one bigger. Oh my gosh. I did my Googles before, so I didn't know that. But <laughs> <laughs> the plane itself is, yeah, is very unique. It's huge. It is huge. It is massive. I think the largest number of passengers I've ever had on board was 642. Yo. So that's a lot of labs, man. <laughs> like no pressure. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure at all. Sure. Yeah, and I'm special with it being special because I'm the first black female South African to fly it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is so incredible. It makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That that makes me so happy. But of course, um, your Emirates experience was short-lived. Well, yes. n- yeah, I, I don't know if that was the right way to say it, but yeah, it was short-lived. Yeah, I think short-lived is. I I do feel like my journey was cut short, but in the same light, I'm also that person who's, I've always hit the ground running. Like, Mm -hmm. so when I moved to Dubai, the first probably three or four months, I didn't do anything. I was like a bookworm. The only thing I did was study and eat because I was in Dubai for work. Therefore, I had to secure the bag. I had to make sure that work was solid before I could enjoy living my new life. Mm. So I didn't get there and start living my best life in Dubai because I'm here now. So I had to put the work in before. And after I'd finished my training and I passed my Airbus 380 conversion, I was able to be like, okay, what's up, new city? Let's see what's up. So I did anything and everything I could have possibly wanted to do because I've always been that person where what am I waiting for? Like, I've never Mm. been one to just sit and be like, oh, but I'm going to be here for the next five years, 10 years, whatever the time frame is. I'll have all this time to do it. I've never been that person. So for me to just hit the ground running and just be doing things from the onset helped me feel content when I did eventually lose my job because of COVID. Because I was like, you know what? In the time that I was here, I'm happy with what I've achieved. I'm happy with what I've done. I'm happy with the places and like the parts of the city that I've seen. So, and as much as it was cut short, I didn't feel as though, ah, oh, but it's so much I didn't get to achieve. Mm. I mean, I guess if that was there for five years or whatever the time frame, and there's a lot more that I would have done. But when my retrenchment letter did come, yes, I was super sad about it. And mm. I did take the time out to be like, this sucks. Because mm. I think it's important to feel things when they happen and not act like you are fine when in actual fact, you're not. So I did take that time to be like, well, this is really crappy. But luckily my husband was there with me and he was such a huge support system. So it was nice to not be, I mean, already COVID was a lot. Mm -hmm. The fact that I couldn't come home, I was in lockdown in a foreign country. So it was nice to just have that piece of love there Mm -hmm. with you. So, but as soon as my feelings were done, like I was, when I was over being emo about it, I had to get back to reality. And the reality is losing my job meant I had to leave the country. So I had to deal with the relocation. I had to deal with the, okay, we're going back to South Africa. Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? How pandemic. much savings do we have during a pandemic? Oh exactly. So adulting had to come back into play super quickly there. Mm. Mm. Like, yeah, it's so unfortunate that what, what this pandemic has done to so many people and so many careers. But yeah. I'm so happy to hear you say that essentially you had no regrets with of your time there right like yeah yeah, Yeah. you got to live your best life career-wise and also like personally yes so that makes me so happy um okay let's talk about your other interests yeah your other interests and 
like what's how's how is that going right well firstly let's talk about your other interest in what you're doing right now mm. yeah so what i'm doing at the moment is is art so i do art when i'm not flying and my business is called layover art and the funny thing is i started it during lockdown and it's not you the first started time. during lockdown i did yeah not know i did <laughs> okay <laughs> i started during lockdown and it's not the first time i've had my creative hobbies turn into a side business like i've done it before with my part-time photography there was a time where i even opened a baking business and i used oh. to make cupcakes when i wasn't working like oh. <laughs> oh, busy. <laughs> i was busy man i was busy but my biggest problem was i never used to fully think about what i was doing like i've always been such a passion project person where i was just like oh but i'm good at this and people want my service i'm just going to do it but the problem was I couldn't do both. I couldn't be a photographer and a pilot because mm. you're going to need me to come photograph your baby shower, but I can't because I'm working that day. And you're going to need me to bake cupcakes for your kid's birthday, but I can't because I'm working that day. And flying was always going to win. And I think mm. that was something that I knew where when you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. Mm. And because I was constantly saying yes to flying, it meant my other things were always going to take the back seat. So when lockdown comes and I always have like these burning itches to do things when I'm not doing flying related things. And I was sitting there and I was just trying to think about what it is I want to do, but I also wanted to serve me with my passions, but I also wanted to continue being of service to people. Cause I feel like that's what I'm here for. I'm here to be of service to people. And luckily, and as much as flying is my passion, flying has helped me reach people that I wouldn't have necessarily reached if I wasn't flying. So art has always been something that I did, but it's something that I just did for myself. You know, I was always just like, ah, doodles here, drawing here. Yeah. If you were nice enough, I probably did a drawing for you for like your birthday <laughs> and that was it. So, I intentionally then named it layover art because I wanted it to be something I could do on my flying layovers because I was like, oh, oh. my gosh, that never clicked with me. That makes so much sense. Ah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so oh. that's how the name comes about. Yes. And traditionally before lockdown, I used to draw on paper. So I was the pen and paper girl. Mm. And my husband kept on telling me, he was just like, so when are you going to like transition to digital stuff because I don't understand why you're so fixated on always using paper. Like you used to mock me because I still love reading actual books. Like I struggle with Kindles and eBooks because I'm like, <laughs> I want to feel it in my hands. So I felt the same way about the art. I was just like, mm, I don't know if it's going to be the same if I'm like drawing on the iPad yeah. and, 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 but Miguel listened and I got myself an iPad and then I just couldn't stop drawing because now, I mean, <laughs> I'm not wasting paper anymore. Like there's, there's endless supply for as long as I have memory space. Yeah, and stationery and all the tools exactly. you use. Yeah. <laughs> like the pencil doesn't run out. Yeah. I don't need to go get supplies. <laughs> so I just kept going and going and going. And then the one day I posted some of my stuff on Instagram, on my personal profile. And I just asked if people wanted me to send them the digital file. Cause I was just like, well, I've done this stuff. I don't know what to do with it. And the number of responses I got to everyone was just like, oh my gosh, send it to me, send it to me, send it to me. Mm. I was like, no, oh, I think it goes onto something here. 
And so, yeah, so that's literally how Layover Art was born. And that's how I started creating illustrations for people like you. Yes, people <laughs> like me. I'm, like, it's it's actually my wallpaper. And if you can see this. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> it's my <Yes>. wallpaper. <laughs> that is so exciting. Sure. Okay. And I mean, am I right to say that it's done pretty well? Yeah, because I lost... Um, I launched, sorry, I launched the, the website at the end of July. So it's been, what, like six months. Mm. And even the website itself, in lockdown project, I sat there trying to just get it done myself because I'm just like, mm, I can't be paying someone to do this for me when, one, I don't have money, but two, I've got time on my hands yeah. and I'm always willing to learn creative things. So, but man, it exceeded my expectations how people have responded to my work. Like it blows my mind every single time and people always feel like you're exaggerating when you're just like I can't believe she wants to buy my work that's how I feel every time someone sends me whether it's a DM or an email I'm just like oh my gosh somebody <laughs> actually wants this yeah. and then I mean I get people like you where I get to create your podcast logo and then I get to be on your podcast I'm just like uh, no. <laughs> I'm just as excited too like I actually it it wasn't really even part of my plan to mm. to to get a custom um like the podcast cover art uh but when i came across i came across your work i don't even remember how i think i came across your profile because i was on um Sive's profile and then i was looking at you just from a pilot perspective and then i'm like how yeah there's the art piece too <laughs> i saw that and i kid you not i think it took me about two three days to decide to now i'm doing this i have to do this with you like I just felt like I had to do it. I have to do this. It literally wasn't part of my plan, <laughs> my oh, long-term I'm plan. So and I'm, I'm like, so this can't be chance because you are a black woman, and this is what I preach on my podcast. And yes. you are doing this amazing thing. You are multi, like you are every you embody she brigade in my opinion. It has to be done by you. And of course, personally, I like your. I love you. I love your art. <laughs> I love the way you draw and the way that your images look. I told you, it's just yeah. the way that they look that really made me want to do it. So. I, uh, I'm very glad that you started doing art because then yeah, I got... I'm so glad as well. <laughs> and the funny thing is, um, so I don't have any formal training. Like I, ah. So the last time I actually did art, art as a subject was in high school. Mm. But even how I land up taking that subject, oh, it was such a mess. Because, so grade 10 happens, right? And we all have to pick, pick our subjects. Subject, yes. So because I want to be a pilot, showcase maths and science is happening. And I took geography for control because I'm like, yeah, the weather, the environment, you know, it, it, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then some of my wild card subject ended up being accounting. So I only end up taking accounting because I'm good at it. I'm just like, okay, well, it's something I'm good at. So might as well just add it into the mix. Uh, first term of grade 10. And I was just like, I can't, I can't keep doing this for the next three years. Like for me doing something just because I was good at it it was not enough yeah so i was like what's the one thing i feel like i miss and it was art so but now because i'm in boarding school it's not that easy to just change subjects i had to go get letters from the department oh. of this and the department of that and then i have to take them home for my parents. parents to sign mm. and then i get home and i tell my parents this is what's up and my parents are like no because uh, they're probably like art yeah <laughs> yeah no <laughs> It was a no. It was a very solid firm <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is probably the first time. And the funny thing is, I feel as though I learned 
the biggest lessons about my character in high school. Because so many things happened where I was just like, girl, <laughs> you need to make sure these things are aligning to your vision and you have to be sure of the things that you want. Otherwise, also people no more, yeah? and these things are not going to happen <laughs> if you aren't firm about the stuff mm. that you want. And it was the first time in my life, and probably like I felt like I had to repent afterwards, where I disagreed with my parents out loud. Mm. And the thing is, you know, with black families, you, you don't, you don't speak up, you don't say this thing, you don't say that, especially if it goes against what your parents are saying. Mm -hmm. But it was the first time I was learning that, but this is my life, and this is about my livelihood. And the thing that I want to do does not negatively impact you. Mm. So therefore, I don't understand why you will not allow me to do this thing, because it brings me joy. And when they eventually did say yes, I actually couldn't believe I won. I was just like, really? Like, I can actually, I can go, like, it's a yes. You can <laughs> sign the forms. Like, it's real. It's real. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, I love your story. Okay, so tell us about, of, of your journey, whether it's, 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 it's aviation related or art related, doesn't matter, your whole journey, what have been some of the mm -hmm. highlights of your journey and what have been the lowlights? Oh, um, I think the lowlights will definitely, I'll start with the lowlights. That's definitely been the times where I didn't get to fly. Mm. And I think for me, it's just because I think there's nothing more painful than realizing a dream and while you're still enjoying the dream having the dream get taken away from you mm. so for me that was definitely the lowest times of my life but the best thing is my highs came because of my lungs so every time i got to go back to flying it was just man i just everything in me was just so happy to be in that moment and i think that's why when i do get to fly when i do get to do things that i enjoy i'm just so immersed in being able to do it that it makes me happy like i'm just mm. so so happy and sometimes we don't do things for any other reason except the fact that you you just want to play like i just want to do it because it makes me happy it brings me joy so just being able to go back to flying and being able to do the things that i love like my art that stuff brings me joy and the mm. fact that through the things that I love, I've been able to connect with people that I love. So and as much as my parents and I have been through the most with my flying journey, the fact that I got to fly with both of them sitting in the cockpit and watching oh me gosh. do my thing is it's just the best feeling in the world. Yes, it, that, that sounds incredible. I can just imagine it. I actually saw on your Instagram profile, I think it's like the first picture you posted where you said, I'm flying with my dad. Yeah. And you're like daddy's girl. Like, uh, like that's such a beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, that's so important. I mean, the, you're, you're saying that the lowest parts of your life are actually what led to the highs. Like that's, yeah. there's something like magical about that, right? We often think when we're going through the lows that it's over. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's over. But I love that you actually saying that now those lows actually brought you to your highs. And I feel like even going forward, if you go through lows again, you can then approach them differently because you know what has happened in the past, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I think, especially now, like having lost my job because of COVID, mm. it's, dare I say, it's not that bad because I've been unemployed before. I've been in worse mm. positions before and mm. I've always bounced back. Mm. 
So even when days where I'm sitting there and I'm just like, yo, my life is a mess. I always know that the silver lining will come. And I mean, last year was super hard because after I got back, um, I lost one of my closest cousins. Mm. So she was actually my sister because we were two months apart. Mm. And I was just like, I'm like, yeah, when I lodge, you're going through this thing where you're testing me again. And <laughs> <laughs> I feel like mm. I was hoping there was going to be some type of warning this time around. Yeah. But you always know that the silver lining will always come. Yeah. Like darkness is never a permanent thing. Mm. No, I love it. And I'm, 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 I'm happy that that has happened for you. And I hope that Semenya, like the rest of us and the audience can learn from that experience of yours. Okay. So this is my favorite part of the podcast. It's that time. Okay. My favorite part of the podcast where I ask my favorite question, which, which comes from my favorite quote <laughs> that says, <laughs> be who you needed when you were younger. Okay. Um, I believe that when we were younger, there is something that we wanted to, that we needed to hear or someone that you wanted to see um, at some point when we were younger, whether or not we knew it, you know? Yeah. And while we can't go back and change time, I believe that if we needed that when we were younger, there's someone out there today who might need to hear that exact same thing. So yeah. tell me, if you could go back and talk to younger Amanda, what would you say to her? Oh, so I would tell my younger self that it's okay if people don't understand your vision right from the get-go because I think what used to happen with me is I'd always tell people the things that I want to do so whether it's about flying or it's about my business ideas or whatever and sometimes people just were discouraging Mm. and I sometimes thought that discouragement was because my idea is not good or my dream is not valid. And sometimes people are discouraging you just because they can't actually comprehend what it is you're really trying to do. So I think once people just don't think about other people, just focus on what it is that you're trying to do. So the vision only has to make sense to you for it to begin. Mm -hmm. And then once the vision is becoming a reality and it's moving along, then you can worry about painting the picture in color for other people. Listen to the artist yeah. in you. <laughs> <laughs> Making such a beautiful, like you literally illustrated this beautiful thought <laughs> through art. I, that is beautiful. I love that. 100%. And I 100% agree with it. I 100% agree with it. Um, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. <gasps> this has been amazing. I'm so glad we did this. Story. I'm so thank glad we did well. this. So also, how can the audience and the listeners um, follow you, follow your work, buy from you, you know, shop your products? You also have a a jewelry um, store. I want to say store. (laughs) (laughs) Online store that you have. Yes. Um, So how can our followers just get in touch and keep up with you and your work? Okay. So on social media, I'm basically active on all platforms, but my most favorite is Instagram. So if you want to find me on Instagram, my personal account is aviatrix underscore Mandy. For my art, it is layover underscore art. And I make earrings. And those you can find at Shop Weezer. So Weezer is my second name. So it's Shop yes. Weezer. 
But yeah, so I literally sell everything on my website, which is www.layoverart.com. So yeah, so you can reach me there, here, and everywhere, really. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That is amazing. Thank you again for sharing your story with us. It's, it was absolutely incredible. Thank you so, so much for having me, Pillow. And also just thank you for trusting me with your vision when it came to the She Brigade podcast logo. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed that commission. I really, really did. And I really enjoyed this. So thank you as well. I was like so worried every time I asked you, please change this. I was like, am I being a difficult? No. <laughs> am I, being, I hope I'm not like being troublesome. Not I was like, all. I hope she likes me after this because I went on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even and the funny thing is about commissions i think i enjoy them the most because it's easy creating stuff that i like it's easy creating things because i mean it's in my head yes. so I, i'm just going from my head onto the screen so now when it is when you're trying to do somebody else's vision that's where the growth lies for me so every time someone is like being nitpicky it must be nitpicky because you paid for it <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair enough (laughs) no thank you thank you for creating this amazing piece of art for me and for us i feel like uh, when i posted it on social media a lot of the audience was also like this is so perfect this is exactly what we wanted to see for she brigade this is what she brigade it it felt like this is what the audience also had in mind for she brigade so i'm very happy with with you with the podcast with everything thank you again that's amazing (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to She Brigade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think will enjoy it too. You can also share it on your social media and tag us at She Brigade. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so feel free to email your questions or your suggestions to info at shebrigade.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at She Brigade. Until next time, bye.